There she is. Hey, what's going on? What's going on? Nothing much. All right, happy Friday Eve. Uh, of course, this is my co-host, KV. She's hey. in the building. She wanted to make sure she was here today. Uh, we So to start the show, we got a little bit of music we'll play, and then I'll bring you on. Okay. Okay. You ready, Dean? I'm ready. All right. So uh, we're going to go in three, uh, two. All right. If you guys are ready. Three, two, one. I still say that's the best beat. <laughs> KV, that's the best beat. I'm starting to think you have something history. to do with that beat. That's why you like it so no, much. No, you know, Kendall, who does a lot of our graphics, yes. um, came up with the beat. I don't know where he got it from. Mm, hopefully, it's nice. Hopefully he didn't steal it from somebody. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's in a band or what. Ah, nice. uh, hey, welcome back to the show this week. Uh, joining us, KV, we got a very, very supreme guest. She is awesome. I don't uh, know if I like the word supreme. She you is the, she say is the, the cream top of the crop. Notch, the cream of the She's crop. the cream of the crop. Listen. She is the all, the be all, will be all for past, that, future, that, and present. Yep, that, all Come of on that, now. All of that. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. This is, this is where I first talked to her mm -hmm. uh, on Twitter. We were DM back and forth because I thought Joe Johnson was a premier player because he's from Arkansas. My classmate, by the way. Yes, yes. he is. Uh, yes. Instead of Derek Fisher, who was also from Arkansas, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, and so she had her thoughts on on uh, mm -hmm. Joe, and I had my thoughts on Joe. Yes. Hey, Jamel Hill, welcome to the show. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. And then, why are you trying to make it sound like I'm shading Joe? <laughs> 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 well, I don't want to sound like you shading Joe. You know, you just, you would. You, we were talking about whether Joe was uh, a, 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 a number one player. Right. And I, I think, think that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Whether he, not even he definitely. Was. I mean, he's a he was a good he was a good closer, and in, in some respects, he definitely has had or did have a you know an underrated uh, career. But it just um, other than his ability in certain moments to be you know very clutch. I just didn't. I just didn't have him on the same pedestal you necessarily did. But I wasn't saying he was like trash. Yeah, anything. well, you know, <laughs> we're a little biased. Well, we're a little you biased. Know, He's from right. Arkansas. Yeah. Right. We're a little biased. You yourself, Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Because you went to. See, you're from Detroit. So here's the thing. I I, I got family in Detroit, and one question I always ask: If you're in Alabama, is either Alabama or Auburn. You're in Florida, UF, mm -hmm. Miami, Florida State. If you're in Michigan, mm. Michigan or Michigan State, and I just got to know, because everybody that I talked to was Michigan, so I'm trying to figure out why you chose Michigan State. And I hear it's like a technical college. <laughs> what? All right, it was like a. Uh, did you just? Did you basically say I'm going to like University of Phoenix? I'm no, 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 so no. So who's no, being no. shady now? No, no, well, you know, I went like that. Went like, I'm just telling you what the did fam you really was just saying. Insult my university that way? <laughs> no, 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 just like joking. I'm out here going to ITT or something. No, like, no. <laughs> um, no, it is a, a very intense rivalry, and 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 I'll be completely honest, it's more intense probably on our side than theirs because they consider. Ohio State to be their number one rival, which only angers us. Mm. And, um, really? you know, that people have to understand geography, too. It's like University of Michigan, Ann Arbor is about 40, 45 minutes from Detroit. 
Michigan State is about two hours. But as I often say, of those Michigan fans you know, how many of them actually went to Michigan? Well, that's true. Mm, that's true. true. None yeah. of them did, or very few of them <laughs> yeah, did. Unlike true. when you run into Michigan State fans, they usually went there. And, um, you know, it, it's understandable. Like, it, Look, I was a Michigan fan growing up, and that's because a lot of that had to do with the fact that the Fab Five, they were in college when I was in high school. And so everybody in Detroit was rooting for Michigan. And the proximity and I think – you know, they have gone through longer pockets of having more sports success in the two major sports in basketball and football, um, although not basketball in the last. I mean, they have some moments, but, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that Michigan State has been the more dominant program in the state for the last 20 years. So it's just, if you're from Detroit, that makes all the, the sense in the world. But I do think the rise of Michigan State's basketball program has had a lot, a lot to do with this being a little bit more even than it was before. Gotcha. And speaking of that, uh, we'll we'll start with the uh, state of the Spartans address. D'Antoni. D'Antonio, that is, calling it quits. Uh, you uh, you got any thoughts on D'Antonio getting off the sidelines? Uh, it was time, and I know it was uh, it was surprising. I think only the timing is surprising. Either, well, not either. I think what they were probably headed for a really ugly divorce. I don't think Michigan State, given the fact that he's the most successful football coach that they've had um, other than Duffy Doherty, who won a bunch of national championships when Bubba Smith went there and back in the mid-60s, mm-hmm. where Michigan State was really quite a dominant program. Uh, he's the most successful coach they've had in the modern day. And the run that he went on for about four or five years is the most impressive that yeah. they've had. And so the problem was the decline after the run. He wasn't able to sustain the, sustain the success. And it didn't have anything to do with Jim Harbaugh. It's just you know, when you when you don't have a quarterback, because we went through a period where it was, you know, Brian Horrier, who is still in the NFL, Kirk Cousins, obviously an NFL starter. Um, and then you had Connor Cook, who uh, was a, a second-round draft pick, I believe. So when you have that success at quarterback and then suddenly it's none, mm-hmm. um, that is going to be a real factor in why your program declines. So it was that. It was, um, you know, recruiting wasn't going as well i just think that it was probably headed somewhere uh, ugly but hey he pulled a finesse move he waited till that four million boy, kicked in boy he bonus. did pull a finesse move didn't he, <laughs> and, and he waited he, till that bonus kicked in it was and even though it didn't do him any favors that it was the day before signing day i mean he gave he chucked up the deuces <laughs> and he'll still have a role in the athletic department which is going to be befitting with for a coach that has had that much success so I am thankful for what Coach D'Antonio did for the university and how he steadied the ship and really proved that um, it can be an elite program. But I'm also glad that he's gone because I think it was time for a different voice, different leadership, and um, a new direction for this program. Yeah, because at one point they had a really, really – defensively, they were probably one of the top teams I can think of uh, at one point. And then it just kind of fell off a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, so. it was – it was a lot of uh, drop off, and I, I think with whoever's in there next, that um, while I wouldn't say that the program is in great shape, I I, I think it it would not be a difficult turnaround job. Yeah. So so you got any names in mind for the Michigan State football job? Well, it's two two names I like, um, and actually another one that just kind of emerged that I actually did not realize he had a Michigan connection. Uh, I like Pat Narduzzi, who is the coach of Pittsburgh, and Narduzzi was defensive coordinator during that time. We talked about Michigan mm-hmm. State having dominant defenses, defenses and dominant uh, defensive players. Uh, I, I think the energy that he brings, you know, he's already obviously very familiar with the culture at Michigan State, really like him. 
do like the suggestions of Luke Fickle, who's at uh, Cincinnati and the head coach there. A lot of people are very high on him, understandably so, with what he's done with that program and, of course, his track record just mm -hmm. as a coach, period. Another name I had not considered, and again, just because I did not know the tie, was Robert Saleh, um, uh, excuse me, from the San Francisco 49ers, the defensive coordinator. He's from Dearborn, Michigan, which is right outside of Detroit. I had no idea this was the case. And not to mention you know, he got I, passed over for some NFL jobs this year. He did. He did. Uh, now, I don't know about what his appetite is for coaching in college, but I will say, you know, being able to come back to the state that you're from and uh, being a head coach at a university that has a lot of potential and promise, I'm down for if we could throw a dart and land on any of those three. I'd be happy. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think there are some good options out there for Michigan State. OK, uh, so. Uh, moving along to basketball now, I know that uh, I don't, you know. Listen, Cassius Winston, mm. I mean, consensus All American preseason. I get it, eighteen and a half points a game. He just he is he's not sexy to me. It's, it I mean yeah. he's not he's he, like he disappears in, in big moments. This is just from a sports fan. This is, no, I, I think um, you, we do have to look to some degree at the team around him. It, you know, it's so funny because. Um, I think more so about the opportunities that Michigan State has missed more than where the, the state of the team is is right now. And it's a lot of reasons for that. Um, inconsistency, injury, the fact that in college basketball, nobody seems to want to hold on to be number one in the no country. No one right now. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a lot of turnover in that spot. But I look at last year, and I still am not over last year. And, um, you know, to beat Duke in the semifinal, then lose in the championship game. And this is no shade to Texas Tech. <laughs> But you can't lose to Texas Tech in the final. <laughs> like losing to Duke, okay. A lot of people lose to Duke. Like we get it. Like, right. and again, I know I'm sure Texas Tech fans will be mad at me, but like that's the best opportunity they've had to win a title since uh, Michigan State won it in 2000 with Mateen Cleaves. And the other team I often think about is the team that um, got upset by Middle C Middle Tennessee State. Um, it, it's like that is you can't have that and and the missed opportunity of playing in Detroit a couple of years ago and losing in Detroit to Syracuse team. That was terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's just garbage. No other way to put garbage. They were and garbage. So, yeah. At least I can see the reasons why this team is struggling. Obviously there's been a lot on Cassius Winston this year. I'm not even talking about basketball with his brother's suicide. Mm -hmm. And you know, he's had, I can only imagine from an emotional standpoint, what he's been through this season. It was a shame to me that uh, after last season and the success to see, you know, Nick Ward turn pro. I, like, I didn't even understand that. They should have had a stronger team coming into the season. You know, unfortunately, again, there were some injuries. So I, I get why they're struggling. Mm. He's still a great player. I agree with you. I think <laughs> when we think about NBA potential, he's not somebody that jumps off the page. But I look at what he has. I always feel like to make the NBA, you got to have one great skill, whether it be athleticism drive, nobody's ever drive jump like shot. it's gotta be something jumps it's gotta right. be something i think with him look at how he finishes around the basket i think he's one of the best finishers with either hand in college basketball he's very creative and i think that may be his entry point no he's not the fastest guy he doesn't have like the end-to-end -end speed of john wall or some of the athletic attributes that i think you're used to seeing but he understands the game knows it smart player uh, better defensively than I think people give him credit for. And if you look at the players Michigan State has put into the league, by and large, they have a very 
good track record of just sticking in the league a long time because fundamentally they're so sound coming from a coach like Tom Izzo. Speaking of Izzo, every year when I do my NCAA bracket, which we're about to do, mm-hmm. um, I always make sure to put – because to me, it, when it comes down to picking teams, I never look at the seedings, but when it's a close game, I always look at who has the best coach. And Izzo's good for a Final Four at least every other year. Uh, but But lately – Come on, now. Izzo's been – he's been coming up short, and then he's got the sanctions they're talking about. I mean, is it time for Izzo? <laughs> is it time for Izzo so to you go? Just, you just trying to make sure I can't ever go back to this. No, no. Just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, my family still lives in Detroit. I just want you, Mark, I just want you to know that. I, know, okay? I, I got family there, too. I, I like all Detroit. Right? Well, I want to be able to see them without needing security. Oh, okay. okay. All right. I got you. I got you. I got you. No, it's not time for Tom Izzo to go. The game is not passing by. We're not seeing the withering decline because recruiting is still going pretty great. He has some young players who have a lot of good potential, mm-hmm. and I'm really excited about them. And, yeah, I, again, as I said, like, they make the championship just last year. They mm-hmm. go to the championship. It felt like a wasted opportunity more than a great season. Yeah. But even that I considered to be a huge compliment to him because there was a time where, you know, Izzo would have got a parade just for getting there. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. expectations, he's they've risen so much mm-hmm. that, yes, when we are in the tournament, we expect to win it all. Yeah. And I think that has – a testament to the standard that he's created at the university. Um, this year has been more up and down. Uh, I do think he's been snake bitten a little bit uh, mm-hmm. more so. I can't say that I've watched any game and said like, oh, they're poorly coached. They're not ready. Yeah. That kind of thing. You know, again, when your point guard who, you know, was consensus, um, you know, best player in the Big Ten and one of the best players in the country, when he mm-hmm. suffers the kind of emotional tragedy mm-hmm. that he does, that's like something you can't really anticipate as a coach and how that will have a ripple effect on the rest of the team. I'm not saying that that's the total reason for why that there has been such a, um, a lack of consistency. I think, you know, some of it, too, is that the team is a little younger than the team I think he thought he was starting uh, the season with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I know you're doing some TV, and I think KV wants to talk yeah, about Yeah, I'm going to switch gears because I do want her to be able to go home at some point, Mark. <laughs> so Thank you. Switch gears just a little bit. Yes. But Look out I, for me, black woman. Yes, trying to help you out, trying to help you out. So um, I know you've uh, been on Bravo's Below Deck, and I think we just returned <laughs> back. Is that right? Uh, well, not just returned. We actually – it just the, the episodes aired recently. Right. And uh, we actually went – in March of 2019 is when we took the trip to Thailand. Okay. And right. And there was a lot around that. How, how's Kate? <laughs> <laughs> are you, are y'all better? Oh, Kate and I were, we were good by the time I left. Okay. And it was, it was interesting because I knew as soon as, literally as soon as I said that about it, and I guess for those who are not familiar with the show Below Deck, it's a Bravo reality series. The whole point of the show is that you're on this super yacht, on a mega yacht, a very luxury, you know, lot, a yachting, and really the whole series is kind of about the staff that services the yacht, their interaction with, you know, clients such as myself and guests, and um, but really it's a kind of about their drama more so than the guest drama, and um, or any storylines created around the guests. And so Kate is is uh, an anti-hero, I think, to some people, you know, is that. Uh, she has her moments where she can be uh, a little difficult. And so it's just that when we got there on the, on the yard, uh, you know, it's me and my girls, this was like a pre bachelorette party for me 
because mm-hmm. uh, the one I had with a much larger group, we that took place uh, in September of, of of that year, and so everybody else in the crew was so nice. Like, and a lot of them, a few of them, recognized me from ESPN, so they wanted to talk sports, and like the energy was just like really, really good. Mm-hmm. And then she came in, and it was like not good. And <laughs> <Wow>. so <laughs> I think it was it, it wasn't that she had bad energy; it's just that hers just didn't match everybody mm-hmm, else's, mm-hmm. and so it looked like to us. And not to all of us. It was like me and my girl Suzette, who was also there, who was next to me when I asked her if we were if we were getting we on her nerves. nerves. Yeah. yeah, she just seemed <laughs> like she had an attitude. Uh-huh. And um, you know, we just kind of picked up on it, or a couple of us did. And I said something to her, like, you know, is everything is everything good? Are we getting on your nerves? Like we had literally just got there. I mean, we hadn't been there that long. And I knew as soon as I said it, I was like, I done gave her some ammunition, man. She's about to go back when they do these you know, one-on-one confessionals or whatever, mm-hmm. she is going to kill me. And you should have saw it, Mark, because she was like, you know, a B recognizes a B. It's all good. So this that, is that. I was, that like, was the, That was the part I was a little shocked at. Like, I've never, some of the things she called me, no one's ever called me that. Wow. Ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, or the people that have called me that have been people, you know, some Trump supporters have called me that, but, you <laughs> right. know, I kind of expect that out of that. <laughs> right. But I just, in real life, never had anybody yeah. ever called me that. <laughs> And so I was a little taken aback. Her and I had essentially made up, if you will, before that mm-hmm. charter was over. And nobody that ever knows me would ever describe me as a mean girl. So it was kind of yeah. interesting mm-hmm. to see that characterization. My mother absolutely did not appreciate it. Oh, I and bet. I did. <laughs> yeah, I did watch what, what the, the, the post show, Watch What Happens Live mm-hmm. after our episode ran and my mother called into the show whoa, and whoa. she said, don't nobody call my child, my baby, <laughs> that on national television. See, Mark, that's what, why she has what? to be able to go home. I got see. you. Hey, listen, she I, gotta have I her, understand. Mama has to have her back. Mama has to have my back. But right. Kate and I, it was funny before I did the Watch What Happens Live, Kate and I were texting that morning mm. because, um, you know, we were just like, I was just like, you know, hey, just wanted to let you know I had a great time. Like, I mean, she'd already known this because she had talked to some of the um one of my other friends who was in the group they had been talking like on a somewhat consistent basis and so she had told us she had told us when we left that we were the best uh charter guests that they had all season Mm, you know so it just kind of like we started in one place we got to another place of course you know it's the the drama of what happened during our um during during our trip trip. and so Mm -hmm. they really played up to that but there was a lot that was obviously missing that kind of took place in between see i'm wondering how much of those I, I thought those reality shows were scripted. How much of that was scripted? Did they, yeah, like, they that's get what I ear? wanted to know. And she just said nothing, a lot is missing. So. N- no, nothing is scripted. Okay. But you have to realize that they take all the footage and they're, the job of the producers is to create an episode. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they take everything. It's kind of like when you do an interview with somebody. You take the whole interview and then you, you, you craft it into what's the best part. Now, from con- a content standpoint, there's going to be some things that are missing. That might shed more light on it or might give you more insight, but you know, they only have an hour to do this. And so what came out of all the things mm-hmm. that they filmed of us doing was my little quote confrontation with Kate and the infamous cake. <laughs> so mm-hmm. those were the two things that kind of came out of out of our episode. But look, I wasn't complaining about it because You got a free trip. I, hey. No, not... it wasn't free. Oh. Oh. Yes. Look, we both owe. That, that's <laughs> That's that's a that's a luxury yeah. yacht. Yeah. You get it at a you get it at a discounted price. Okay. But no, we we paid. And you know that that at the end of the, the trip, 
um, you know, you give the staff a trip. So that 20 grand we gave them was really our 20 grand. So wow. That's okay. just, like, that's how it, it goes. You just get it at a rate that's not like if we did that on our own, absent of the show, mm. it would have been five times more. Mm. But wow. okay. um, you're still paying um, or whatever. But uh, no, I mean, I, I think that it's it's not it's not fake it's just that like they just are trying to create an episode mm-hmm. and look I, again i wasn't complaining because thankful i'm glad other things that didn't make the air i wasn't thought about that <laughs> stuff i'm glad it was stuff that didn't make it so i'm good <laughs> well, well speaking of that recently uh man your girl gail king caught wow. some man she yeah, caught she my... caught the business she, mm-hmm. L, yeah. she <laughs> took is. some l's about this whole yeah. kobe interview because mm-hmm. uh, now now according to her she was saying that look they just took a clip and we know you know you've been television i do too they, they will take a clip we will get a clip of it but not like they, they they for them not to address it or at least put a little bit of everything in that clip mm-hmm. they, they just took the piece about kobe's death and and the, and the uh and the situation in colorado where he got in trouble uh, and just ran with it so mm-hmm. you, you you got any thoughts on that so this has been, um, you know, obviously the reaction and the response and, and just the warning. I mean, I live in Los Angeles and I can tell you um, this city is heartbroken. Like, I mean, it's not just like I know he had fans worldwide, but this city in particular, what he meant here to have spent his whole career here to this city to see him grow up in front of them. Yeah. It's been very hard for people. And I will say personally, as somebody who got a chance to interview him and know him a little bit and build a rapport with him that I have never reacted to uh, a death of a celebrity or a sports figure the way that I reacted to his death. I mean, I cried for real. Yeah. And real um, tears, real tears. You know, it was, it was devastating thinking about not just what he meant to the city, but just what he's leaving behind. I mean, his family, like, and to die with his daughter, it just, Mm -hmm. it was a lot. It's an emotional time. A lot of people's emotions are raw. That being said, it's an uncomfortable part of the job. But when you're in the position where you have to consider somebody's legacy, you do have to consider their whole legacy and their whole story. And there are going to be fans of his, people who support him, that never want Colorado mentioned. Never. And never. that's not really an accurate picture. It did mm-hmm. actually, not you know the crime that he's accused of itself, but the trial actually happened. Yeah. And thinking about how we look at those things now and the fact that he was playing still while also making court appearances for a rape trial like that is just, we all saw that happen in real time. And that a lot of people um, after that trial, there were, I mean, Kobe has always been a polarizing player absent of that because there are a lot of people who were turned off by the fact that they felt like he was imitating Michael Jordan and it was basketball fans that didn't like his boldness and his cockiness. So he already had that to deal with. Yeah, Yeah, he had that part to deal with. But then after that happened, to pretend as if there was not this huge stretch of time where people just did not mess with him at all and the endorsements he lost, like that happened. That's a part of his personal history. And even the people who, who didn't believe he did it but yet he still admitted he cheated on his wife at the very least. They didn't deal with him because of that. Yeah. So yeah. that is a part yeah. of it. Now, I think we can debate about whether or not when is an appropriate time to do it. It is very true. I think the people that have brought this up, and it's true and it's fair, is that there has been a considerable amount of time for him to have answered to those, which he a has 17 done. 17 years. years. Yeah, yeah. which he time. has done within within the 
scope that he could, given the fact that he did set a lot of court with the young lady who was involved, and there was only so much he could talk about anyway. Mm -hmm. But I think when people see the clip, and I would like to see the full interview before I make a complete judgment, is that they... I like to see how I understand the context. Lisa Leslie is somebody who knows Kobe and everybody knows because of his daughter and his general love of the game. He had a very, you know, he was one of the biggest supporters of the WNBA, biggest supporter of female athletes, women's basketball players in particular. I think it's fair to ask a woman that knew him and a woman that's associated with the league and one of the greatest player players ever. Hey, was it ever for you a challenge or you know, how do you reconcile the fact that there are a lot, of, a lot of women out there who do not like him and who still associate him with being somebody who was once accused of rape? I think that's actually a fair question to ask. Mm -hmm. But it's the belaboring. That's the part that I think people are and it's really the responding timing. to. Yeah. And it's the I mean, timing well, to me. Yeah. I get it. Well, she, she put, I but get the thing it. is, like, when is, when is the, if you're, if, if we're now in the mode where we're discussing his legacy and his whole life, because we're discussing his whole life because he's not here. When is that time? Well, because I'm going to tell you, people would still react to like this three months from now. Like, I, it really wouldn't matter. I got that part. I think my thing is, in the interview, you know, Gail, I, I don't know how much control she had over what clip could be released, but mm -hmm. if it was me, if I was in there with that producer, oh, no, you won't show this part. We're going to show I another agree. clip. I, I, yeah. I totally agree with you. And, I, you know, that to me was a mistake. Like, I don't know if she got a chance to see what they were going to put out or maybe she didn't think it would kind of hit people the way that it did but when you're talking about something that explosive you need to allow people to get the full context yes. of why, yes. why you're asking what was said before after all around it I, I mean in my podcast we we try to um, put out teaser clips like everybody does it like that's mm -hmm. not uncommon at all and I remember I had Karuchi um, I did a, a sit down with her and we were talking about a, a variety of different topics. And one of the things we talked about is about how, you know, she went through this period where she felt like she kind of didn't fit in because she is um, a multi-ethnic person. You know, she's black. You know, uh, I think her father's Vietnamese. Like she's got a lot of she's got a lot of stuff going on ethnically. <laughs> and so how got a lot she going on. About, <laughs> so she just talked about just how what a challenge it was. And there was one quote that jumped out but i didn't put it out there because it was a 20 second clip and i knew mm. that some people would take it the wrong way and thinking that she was being critical of her african-american heritage and she wasn't at all mm. she was just saying something within context but if you just see that clip you'll walk away yeah. and think yeah. oh karuchi don't like being black yeah. right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you just i think there is something to be said for you have to you do have somewhat of a responsibility to protect your guests you don't have to favorite, you know, have show favoritism, but at the same time, you kind of want to be fair and make sure nothing they say or nothing you ask is being taken out of context. Yeah. And now mm -hmm. um, it's created a huge, you know, situation, um, you know, for her. And a lot of people are questioning her journalistic integrity, her blackness. Yeah. Yeah. She'd have got pulled an Oprah drug. <laughs> up yeah. Yeah. Oprah got drugs. Stedman is in it. <laughs> Right along with it, but um, yeah, I, I think at the very least that we 
um, you know, we all need to see the full interview before making a judgment, which is asking a lot because that's just not how our, our media cycle works, unfortunately. Right. Um, so people are going to have their opinions already. And we're going to stay with, you know, just controversial people. Um, next, of course, mm. my favorite, mm. which I thought was a good thing, but of course, I think this is kind of your introduction into meeting uh, 45. Um, Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> Colin Kaepernick. Very controversial. First of all, are you going to interview? I mean, are you would you interview him for your podcast? Who Donald Trump? Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick. Oh, whoa! Well, I thought you were saying. Well, 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 we're gonna get to well, Trump. Well. Don't worry, we'll get to Trump. <laughs> I want to start with Ka- right. Colin Kaepernick first. Oh, absolutely. Cap. I mean, look, uh, Colin and his people know that door is wide open. Why is so he so quiet though? Why is he so quiet um, about it? He, he didn't speak so, out and didn't do interview interviews. Why is he so quiet? I think. Um, I think for a time, because the grievance case was still active against the NFL, I think that had a lot to do with why he was silent, which makes sense. You don't want to say anything in the media that will uh, undermine the case that you're trying to bring against the NFL. So Mm -hmm. I get it. I wonder now, because there have been rumors that Colin is working on the book, and I I wonder now if this is part of the strategy. I don't agree with it. I think at this point he probably should speak. And I I don't want to come off, you know, sounding arrogant, telling somebody when they should speak, but... I just think it's kind of time now and that people, um, I think they want to know a lot, a lot of things about what this experience has been like, um, you know, how he's resigned to what has happened to his career. Like there's a ton of questions you can ask Colin Kaepernick. So I I think it's kind of time. And, um, you know, I hope he does speak soon. I hope we don't go through 2020 without him saying something. Cause I think, I think it's, it's more than time for him to kind of address and to some degree, to insp- I mean, to a large degree, to inspire. I mean, there's been a lot of people who have taken up the same causes he believed in because they were inspired by him. And I think they deserve right. to hear something from someone who inspired them uh, to try to make this world a better place and to try to make an imprint in, in social uh, justice issues. And freakishly, his shoes, the Air Force Ones, <laughs> sold out in like what five ten minutes? Five ten minutes. Yeah. A matter of minutes. Yeah. Yes. minutes. I was lucky. I got. I got a. You got, got a pair. pair. You got a pair. I did. I did because uh, I can't. I didn't stand them. <laughs> so so now uh, I'm upset. Uh, so if there's any of Collins people out there, KV and I need a pair. Yes. Uh, yeah. Size need a pair. Collins people did. They yeah. sent me a pair. So oh, I was nice. lucky. Man. And I don't even, I don't even know what to do with these shoes. It's like, should I wear them or should I like yes. put them in a glass case? Like, I don't. I'll be the one that will put them in a glass case. You will you wear them. I'll put them in them. Yeah, because because at some point they're gonna come back out, and you're gonna people are gonna well, buy them normal. Yeah, you know. yeah but it, it's sort of you feel like it's kind of history. So mm-hmm. it's just like I don't I don't necessarily feel like I should wear them. I've worn them once, and then even that just gave me anxiety. I was like, no, I'm gonna just put these up for now. But, you know, you bring up something that I've always said has been lost and hasn't been, um, you know, properly highlighted. There was a lot of conversation, a lot of angst, uh, and frankly, a lot of owners and leaning on this uh, to, you know, basically justify their own cowardice. Mm-hmm. Is that this idea that Colin Kaepernick is bad for business and Colin Kaepernick is very good for business. Definitely Nike's good for good. business. Yeah. Definitely yeah. good for business, which is why Nike signed him. And or I should say, resigned him or up upped his deal is you know his merchandise. Period. They cannot keep on the shelves. Like as soon as he comes out with something, people are so ready to support it. And even before Nike waged this new campaign, his jersey um, was one of the top selling jerseys. It was one of the top selling jerseys. Mm -hmm. So there's for as many people who say they can't 
stand Colin Kaepernick. There's a ton of people that support him. Like, all them people burning them, you know, uh, Long Walker 11 Nikes that they were trying to do. and That's crazy. You know, pick up the kids from school, eights and all that. All the people that burn those. um, There were three times as many people Mm. who bought more Nikes because Nike was supporting Colin Kaepernick. Mm -hmm. All right. And so from from Colin Kaepernick, you know, they kind of got everybody talking. And I think you, of course, spoke out on ESPN about, 45, which, you know, mm. 45 started, I think 45 changed the narrative about the whole kneeling uh, and the whole protest. I mean, because when I think about it, yeah. I mean, isn't that how it's been done over the years? I mean, somebody didn't want to <laughs> didn't want to mm-hmm. get up on the bus. Want, so we, mm-hmm. we protest. Right. You know, people couldn't sit and eat mm-hmm. in a restaurant. So we protest. Mm-hmm. So here's another situation where we protest. And this time the narrative has changed. And there's so much anger and animosity. Mm-hmm. And, and what happens from that is journalists, as well as athletes like like yourself mm-hmm. and LeBron, speak out against the president. And it's a other journalists have a problem, problem with, with it. it. Yep. <laughs> well, um, even even because, uh, of course, as as Colin, his personal protest gained momentum and became kind of a movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, just I, you know, just for kind of curiosity in my own edification, I went back and, and looked at some of the dynamics of, say, the Montgomery bus boycott. And, you know, even then, um, and this is where whenever people say that, oh, you know, disrespectful, yeah. History, yeah, they said the same things. Then. I mean, yeah. the majority of people were against Martin Luther King, at Martin Luther King Jr. at the time. Uh, when he died, he was one of the most disliked people in America. Hard to believe. <laughs> but it's true. And he were, there were even some black folks that thought that, too. Mm-hmm. Thought it was stirring the pot, um, making life for them uncomfortable. We've seen before some of the things Malcolm X has said about him. And even though they came to a greater understanding kind of before Malcolm was assassinated, the reality is that these are some of the same narratives, the same conversations mm-hmm. were taking place then mm-hmm. as they are now. And I find that it is quite baffling to me that we would be so willing to repeat the same mistake yeah mm-hmm. and you know the the nature of the protest was hijacked by conservatives who started making it about the flag and disrespecting the military and all these other things even though colin as he was protesting laid out all the reasons he was doing it mm-hmm. and even more so he let people know that the reason he took a knee as opposed to sitting was to actually show respect because a a former veteran nate boyer also, a former NFL player well, NFL told him player. it was more, re- yeah, it was more respectful to take a knee because that's what you do for fallen soldiers. Mm-hmm. And so, once conservatives were able to hijack this, and once Donald Trump was able to use Colin Kaepernick to gain political points and favor, and because he was speaking to his know, base, well, mm-hmm. he wasn't just speaking to his base, mm-hmm. and that's why Colin Kaepernick was such a win for him uh, because. He, there are very few things that come out of that man's mouth that people universally agree on him. And one of the things where he had actual majority support is about what he said about Colin Kaepernick. And that's why he told Jerry Jones that they essentially would be aiding and boosting and supporting his campaign if they played Colin Kaepernick. And the moment that Donald Trump started making Colin Kaepernick the, An the enemy villain. of the state. Yeah, the villain. His career okay. was over. Yeah. And there was no tryout that was going to undo that. No amount of Jay-Z at any table was going to undo that. It was already done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And you and you've expressed your uh, d- discontent for forty five yourself. <laughs> you, you you don't hide That's it. It's a nice word. <laughs> no, because um, I'm also of the opinion that if you're a journalist and um, you cannot you cannot play this game by sugarcoating things, and it's why I am you know my teeth kind of grit a little bit when I when the president outright lies and people call it a falsehood or misleading. Like, no, he lied. It's okay to say it. (laughs) You know, once we lose that ability to do that, you know, that was kind of the whole reason that most of us got into journalism is that you were supposed to hold the people in power accountable. And if that relationship changes, then we just become a PR wing for nonsense. Mm -hmm. And for me, the thing, you know, the distinction I always make with people who um, have been critical of, of the platform I was on when I said it because, you know, I did not say this on Sports Center. Okay, I yeah. told many people this. I was it wasn't like you tuned in at six oh one and I was like, by the way, y'all, the president's a racist. Like that is not <laughs> what happened. What happened was yeah, I was just in a back and forth with a Twitter user and who was trying to still give Donald Trump the benefit of the doubt. This was after Charlottesville where he referred to neo Nazis and white supremacists and white nationalists as very fine people where he struggled to take any kind of definitive stance against very obvious racism in an American city being under attack, under attack by people who should be considered domestic terrorists. And just between that and all the things that he has said about people of color and trying to, you know, um, make them even more marginalized and make us matter even less than we already do in the scope of, you know, uh, American life, it it seemed very obvious what the game plan was. And he's only interested in governing, governing some of us, not all of us. Mm-hmm. And so um, <clears throat> I didn't actually think what I said was really that controversial, nor did I think it would create any of the um, any of the conversation and any of the backlash that it did just because I thought everybody knew it. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, mm-hmm. I didn't know you I like, broke some news for some people. You were okay. like, you were like, y'all didn't know that? Yeah, because I, I the only one that? Am I the only one? Because you were saying, <laughs> I think you said it was just like making a, just a general statement. I thought I was saying water was wet and everybody knew that and agreed. Yeah, What's the I problem? did too. I wasn't even, I mean, it's frankly in the, in the scope of my career, it's one of the most unoriginal things I've actually said because mm-hmm. before I said it, you know, the, the great writer, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote an entire like 10,000 word piece about the about Donald mm. Trump uh, being uh, the, the most American president because he was talking about his history of racism and how this is completely in line with some of what we've seen come out of this office and other racist presidents. So mm-hmm. um, it wasn't even my original thought is that it had the case had been made. And so now to to fast forward and just see it was interesting to me to see if the presidential debates, the Democratic ones, how it's just commonplace to call the president a racist. Wow. That's where we are. Yeah. Well, we're going to switch gears a little bit. I know you are on a time crunch, and so KV going to lighten it up a little bit. That's what she does. Yes. And <laughs> now, normally what we do is find uh, ask questions to find out what type of person you really, really are, okay? Okay. So sometimes I'll do that with, like, food. we like, you know, one's got to go. Are you with this person or that person? But mm-hmm. since you are the all be all sports lady, we're going to give you some quick hits. How about that? And okay. see exactly right. who you want. <laughs> Going NBA for a minute. So the timer is now on Jordan or Kobe. Come on, answer oh, this one right. Answer this one right <laughs> yeah, now. Jordan. Yes, Jordan. Yes, Jordan. Right. I have written the opposite, though. I have written the opposite. I, I, okay. I, I've, I've written that before, but 
I think especially, uh, you know, now that uh, there's this new conversation of LeBron or Kobe, oh. LeBron or Jordan, that it's, 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 <laughs> it's hard for me not to, to yeah. go with right. Michael Jordan. Okay. Yeah. Well, well even kind of staying with what you just said, Kobe or LeBron. Um, ooh, man. Come on now. Come on. This <laughs> isn't even a question. This isn't even a question. No, no. He let me, caught, you know, let me tell I'm you away. Yeah, go ahead. Cause I okay, know first of all, say. first of all, I think the whole topic of LeBron and Jordan is all subjective. Mm-hmm. First of all, I would never mm-hmm. compare LeBron to Michael Jordan because you didn't ask both of them to do the same thing. Michael Jordan wouldn't ask no. to facilitate the ball. But if I was to compare LeBron, I'd compare him to a Scotty or to a Magic. Mm-hmm. Both of them, all of them 6'9", 6'10", range. Mm-hmm. All of them played 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. So to me, it would be those comparisons. And yeah, LeBron's more skilled than the others. And he's more skilled than, than, Le- than uh, Michael and Kobe. But who would I want? I'd want the guy that would play your grandmother to five, not spot her a point, dunk on her, and then throw the ball at her and say next. And that's MJ and Kobe. And LeBron is so – I call him LeBom. LeBom is so passive. (laughs) He's so passive. And every time the game's on the line, he turns the ball over. It's just me. Okay, so that's your opinion. Now I I want to hear her opinion. He's skilled. Kobe or LeBron. Well, I was going to say that some of this – that question – it depends on what type of basketball fan you are, right? It's mm-hmm. like, um, it's almost like asking, you know, what's your type in terms of, you know, who you'd like to date? Mm-hmm. Is that there is somebody, you can put two fine dudes before me, but it might be one that's just more <laughs> my type than the other, but it doesn't mean the other dude ain't fine. All right, that right. makes sense. That makes okay. sense. That okay. makes sense. So in terms of who I got, I'm going to answer this question by based off who I got more enjoyment out of watching. Okay. Both en- enjoy them both, but it was Kobe. Okay. Um, okay. Because even though I've seen LeBron do some truly superhuman things, um, look, I'm from Detroit. I'm a Pistons fan. When he dropped that uh, 48 special on us um, in the playoffs <laughs> on their last time that, you know, we had a championship caliber team, yeah. I don't think my soul ever recovered. Okay. okay. <laughs> so I have seen him do things that are otherworldly, but the scoring tear that Kobe went on a few years ago, mm. where he Second basically averaged like 50 a month. 50 Second to none. It was, I've never seen something like that. Yeah. And he was always doing something that felt like I'd never seen it before. And the scoring, the edge of which he scored and the anger to some degree, it was just really a treat to, yeah. to watch. So in terms of who I prefer would if you gave me the pick of like mm-hmm. okay you can watch all of Kobe's games or all of LeBron's, I'd probably take Kobe. Okay, Boom. got one more comparison for you. So D'Lo or Trey Young? So D'Angelo Ooh. Russell or Trey Young? Oh, it's Trey Young. I mean, I think he's the reincarnation of Steph Curry. Yeah, I mean really? he. Uh-huh. Okay. Yo, yeah. I mean, you want to talk about um, who has, you know, Steph Curry, the influence and impact he's had on basketball. I think we're greatly underrating yeah. because there are things now you see in the game that you never saw until Steph Curry emerged as one of the best players in the league. The shooting range, if, yeah. if nothing The shooting else. range. Trey, Trey Young is the, the 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 child of Steph Curry that he didn't know he had. <laughs> <laughs> everything about his game is very Steph Curry-like, mm-hmm. except for, I think, as a passer and as a ball handler, he's more dynamic than Steph Curry. Right. Steph Curry mm-hmm. got some moves. He got some tricks. Yeah. But – the ball handling that Trey Kerr, that Trey, call him Trey Curry, that should be his name, that Trey yeah. Young has, <laughs> I think makes him such a delight to see. He's another one that you watch and like, oh, I, I, I've never mm-hmm. seen that before. Right. The mm-hmm. things they could do with the ball. So I think he, 
he's kind of next man up that, you know, maybe at some point in his career, he may be in that greatest shooter conversation. Okay. okay. Now stepping over into the NFL. Now we know that NFL players swap jerseys after games, right? So if you could swap mics, because you know all you need is one mic, right? Okay. So if you <laughs> could swap mics with one person, who would that be? Uh, if I could swap mics with one person, it would probably be Oprah. Ah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good uh, one. Okay, that nah, is a good one. You can't argue with that. Yeah, yeah not look, at all. look, I know, I know Gail about to get them <laughs> both about to pay, but I'm just, I'm just kidding. I kid, I kid. But Oprah, you know, she started off as, um, as a, as a journalist. Um, you know, I've always considered her to be one of the more, uh, dynamic and great interviewers, uh, in, in journalism history. And so, you know, just who she was as a media personality, mm-hmm. it, it is really remarkable. And the most important thing, I think, that Oprah, um, why her legacy to me is unquestioned, is that that is the quintessential example of betting on yourself. Yeah. And yeah. and betting on yourself in a way where you weren't fitting in what somebody else's idea of yeah. what it is you mm-hmm. should be doing is. Mm-hmm. She did it Man. truly yeah. her own way. And, and coming so from Mississippi, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And coming, yes, I mean, coming from the South, um, and not being from a aesthetic standpoint, what they were going for in yeah. television. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, she really, I think, has just been a remarkable example. Um, while not later in her, well, while not considered to be a true, true journalist, just because mm-hmm. she was an entertainer and an actor and all mm-hmm. those other things. But I think because her roots were very much in journalism, that's a big reason why she was so successful. All right, Jamel, we know you got some things to do. Uh, we appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you for coming well, on here. We, we appreciate it. Well, I, I enjoyed uh, the conversation. Thank you guys for having me. <laughs> Joe Johnson is still, to me, uh, <laughs> my guy. Look, I love Corliss yes. Williamson. Does that yes. count? Yeah, you like Corliss? Okay, Corliss. Yeah, we can go with that. Yeah, we can go with that. More of a piston, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for calling. We'll talk to you later. Thanks. Have a good one. Take care. All right. Good.